Hey, good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name is Carlos, and just, just a joy to be on the team here at Evergreen. And I just, I just want to just kind of just share, hey, next week is the Super Bowl, and did you know that attendance counts twice on Super Bowl Sunday? <laughs> However you're engaging, it counts twice. So uh, just, just think about that. Uh, but we're looking forward to uh, just, just continuing in our series together. Um, if you're wondering where Jared and Ann are, they are enjoying the sun in Arizona, uh, Jared uh, contacted me this week. He says, it's going so well. Carlos, when I get back, they're not going to be able to tell the difference between me and you. I mean, it's just amazing son that he's getting. So I'm going to have a twin. And, and that's, he's an amazing guy to, to be twins with. with. But uh, we are going through a series that we've called Transform. And it's a series on emotionally healthy discipleship. And I just want to encourage you, if you are, if you are uh, getting something, I hope you're getting something out of these conversations, you're going to want to be a part of those groups, because those groups are going to allow us to go much deeper into each topic. And so put it on your calendar, bring your friends in person, online, we would love to see you go deeper in these conversations. Um, and I want to begin today by just simply asking you, what was, what was? the best part of your childhood? What was the best part of your childhood? As you're thinking about that, I want to share mine because my, my best moments, I'll tell you, they were spent on the block. They were spent outside. Diana Street was the neighborhood street with all my friends came to my street, Diana Street, and we did it all. I mean, my childhood, I remember, man, we were riding bikes hours. I was hustling my friends in marbles. I was slamming down those pogs. Remember that slammer and the pogs? It's like a window of time for those. I mean, we played every sport. We really did. I mean, we invented sports, right? We went through all the tradition, and then we started to invent sports. I mean, we wrestled for so long until the grass just itched way too much. Anyone with me? That was my childhood, and, and I just remember one of, the, one of my highlights was getting to pretend to be the Power Rangers. I mean, take me back to when I was the Green Ranger, right? Those were the good old days. And so as a kid, I loved to move, and, you know, I, I eventually got pretty decent at it to the point where I was one of the better athletes in middle school. You know, in my grade of about 150 students, I, you know, I was the man. I mean, if you, if you showed up on, on, on campus that day, you know, when we were having a flag football game, I was running kick, kickoffs back for touchdowns. I was locking down defenders, right, hitting jump shots. I was, I was everywhere on the pitch, making passes, making plays. And believe it or not, friends, you are looking at the first place runner of the eighth grade 400-meter dash, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Right? In middle school, this is how I felt. I felt like I could do anything. Kevin Garnett was preaching my gospel. Anything is possible. I believed him. I was living that. But then I went to high school. <laughs> and now I was one of about a thousand in just my grade alone. And uh, not only did the competition increase like numerically, the boys increased like literally, right? They just got bigger. And I didn't, right? For some reason, puberty would take its time on me. 
right? So here I was, freshman year, and I was a mere 5'4", 135 pounds of prepubescent skin and bones, and it was my first time in full pads. I was trying out for the freshman football team. And we're in a scrimmage drill, and I find myself playing cornerback, that's defense, and the play goes to a dump pass to none other than our starting fullback, right? And it's just me and Mateo, our starting fullback, in open field. And this could go one of few ways, right? And so I decide that maybe I should remain relatively high because Mateo's probably going to try to juke me But Mateo has different plans. Mateo and his 200 pounds decides to just lower his shoulder and pretend like I'm not standing there. And I must have closed my eyes because what I remember then was just trying to grasp for his ankles as he dragged me about 10 yards down down the field. And so it was in that moment that I realized maybe I couldn't do anything. I felt like Kevin Garnett had lied to me right? I had no superpowers. So in those following years, in those following months, I came to this humbling reality that I had many limits, many limits. So you see, uh, up until that point, I had, I had drank long and hard the cultural Kool-Aid, the message that I could be and do whatever I wanted, The thinking is simple. If I tried hard enough, I could be anything. But did you know that God reveals a different story? The biblical narrative is more like this. You and I, we're limited. We are limited created beings, completely loved and pursued by an unlimited God. Jesus, he hints to this truth with his uh, back and forth with his disciples in Matthew 19 after he gives this teaching about how it's more likely for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person, a rich man, to enter the kingdom of God. And what he's doing for the disciples and for us is he's given this picture of a need for humility and renouncing earthly treasures. And so the disciples, they're astonished, right, because they're thinking, man, if the rich can't get saved, who then can be saved? And so Jesus answers, and before he gives the answers, it says that and he, he, Jesus looked at them intently. He intently looks at them, and he says this, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. And so I realized Kevin Garnett, he was just a few words off. With God, everything is possible, would have been a more accurate statement. And so the world says that we can be anything we want, but I believe that the Bible offers a better proposal. You can be all that God intended you to be. And in the end, I believe that's a better deal. Because I believe the author of life writes way better life stories. Amen? And so today, uh, we begin with this truth that's simple. We are limited. God is unlimited. And that is good news. So we're going to go on a, a little journey 
on the topic of limits and how embracing them can actually work towards our benefit. They could actually be a gift. And so first, I want to look at limits as a spiritual issue. Most of you are familiar with the story of the forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden. We find it in the first few chapters of Genesis, specifically chapter 2. Let's read those verses together. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to what? Die. Wow, that's serious. And so we know how the story goes, right? This threat of death was not enough to keep the first woman and man from going against God's will. But what I want us to see in this very familiar passage is the fact that before that choice was made, before man and woman went against God's will, there was already a limit in place. God had already created in perfect creation boundaries. Now, why would God do this? Why would God feel the need to give us limits? Why were we not designed to freely be and do whatever we wanted? I want to share this experience that's going on in my household of three, and that's that uh, our precious Charlie Joy, who is 15 months old, has been so loved by so many of people in this room and watching online that she has been um, just given toys in abundance. I mean, the Gomez Lemus household has baskets full of toys and piles full of toys and corners full of toys. And so Charlie, she has every kind of toy. Charlie has wooden toys. She has battery-powered toys that light up and speak to her and sometimes scare me. She has, toys that she, could, she has toys that she can pick up and chew. She has toys that she can rattle. She has books that she can open. And so what we do, we say, hey, Charlie, it is playtime. And we put Charlie on her tummy. And what, what do we do as parents? We say, Charlie, you can play with your wooden toy. You can play with this battery-powered toy. You can play with this chew toy. You can play with this, this teddy bear. Charlie, what do you want to play with? These are your choices. And so then Charlie goes. Charlie's not crawling yet, but she's an amazing army crawler. Amazing, right? And so Charlie starts to army crawl. And she goes past that wooden toy. Charlie goes past the battery toy. And I think maybe she's going for the teddy bear. No, she goes past the teddy bear. Actually, she punches it on, its, on her way past the teddy bear. And she goes all the way to the corner. And what does Charlie choose? Charlie chooses the extension cord. Charlie goes, and she starts to lick Daddy's dirty Crocs. And we're like, what's going on, Charlie? You have all these choices. You have all these choices. Why do you choose the extension cord and the dirty Crocs? And so you might be asking yourself, well, Carlos, you know, why, why, why limit your child? You're, you're not asking yourself, actually, that. Right? <laughs> Any parent in the room is not asking that. But we should ask, right, what is it about Ilsa and I that we are limiting Charlie's choices? Well, it's simple. We're not going to overthink this. Number one, we absolutely love Charlie. Absolutely love her. And number two, believe it or not, 
we know better for Charlie. And so we have to wrestle with this idea of this God who decided to give us limits. Could it be, friends, that the limits that he's placed is an absolute act of his absolute love for you and I? And could it be that the creator of the universe happens to know a little bit more or a lot a bit more about life and what's best for us? And so limits, they are an expression of God's amazing love. And so being an emotionally healthy disciple includes recognizing the good that comes with limits. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine what would happen to your work productivity? Could you imagine what would happen to your physical health? Could you imagine what would happen to your most intimate relationships, your marriage, if you and I had the ability to do more than one Wordle a day? Not too many of you are doing Wordles, I see, right? Okay, I thought it was a little more hopeful than that. Thank God for limits. Thank God for one Wordle. Can we talk about limits in our relationships? Limits are essential in discerning what to do or not to do for others. Have you ever struggled with how much you should be helping a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker? If we live without limits, what we're tempted to do, because we all mean well, but what we're tempted to do is we're tempted to meet every need possible. And so Peter Scazzaro, the writer of the Emotionally Healthy book, uh, says, the problem is that the world's needs are far greater than my supply. And I must now discern what is best in response for the long run rather than what's easiest to do right now. And so we must learn to set the art of setting boundaries. And so to understand boundaries, we can start with a very simple question, and that's, where do I end and others begin? Where do I end and others begin? Because if you are a person or I am a person with poor boundaries, I'm going to be compelled to do what others want, even when it's not what I want to do. And so I had my first experiences in the metaverse this week. I don't know if you've tried it, but I got a VR set. And um, I am not a gamer, and some of you know way more about this than I do, so please coach me and help me after the service. But I am in a metaverse, and I took my time, and I created an avatar that I think is just as handsome as me. And so I'm in this virtual reality space where essentially people can interact, and there's about 50 of us, 50 avatars, and I go up to uh, this, uh, this little huddle of avatars that are having a conversation because I want to just go and, and say hi. Actually, I wasn't using my voice because I was too nervous at that point. But I go, and one of the avatars, a person, right, says, hey, you have your bubble on. And I'm totally learning, right, what that means, and I, I think I know what it means. And I'm like, oh. He's like, yeah, take off your bubble so I can give you a hug. And I'm like, Thank God that they've already thought about having default bubbles, right? Because I did not want a hug. My avatar did not want a hug from this stranger. 
And I only bring that up is that's, that's, I had a choice to make, right? I could have taken off my bubble and done something that I did not want to do. Or I could say, no way, man. <laughs> right? And I kept my bubble, right? Setting boundaries. And so uh, an assessment of, of limits and boundaries, uh, I, I just want to offer just, just for your reflection. If you find yourself saying or thinking any of the following, you might be uh, challenged in maintaining important boundaries. And so some of these statements uh, could be uh, just, just a pointer to that. It's uh, the first one, I am fearful of disappointing. Been there, done that. I'm just, I'm fearful of disappointing. Even though I don't want to do this, you know, the fear of disappointing is greater than the discomfort and the stretching and the inconvenience that this brings to my life. I don't want to be criticized, right? My reputation matters. My reputation's on the line here. I really want others to like me. I just, I couldn't say no. Honey, I couldn't say no. People expect me. People expect me to. And so the problem with, with us as those of us who are on this journey of being a follower of Jesus is, uh, and not having proper boundaries, it runs the risk of doing what others want, doing what the world says or what culture says, instead what God has called us to do. And so it would be helpful to identify what are some limits that we're currently experiencing. And I'm no expert, but I want to imagine that a lot of our limits, they are felt before we can name. You're going to feel your limits in your life before you can actually name them. And so questions around that could be, what's causing you to feel pressure? What is your current source of frustration? You see, because we all have limits. It doesn't matter our age, gender, profession, limits follow us because we were created with limits. And so uh, areas that are, are, are important to think about are personality, right? Think about your personality. Are you an extrovert? Are you an introvert? What's your temperament like? Are you a creative? Are you someone who needs planning? Are you kind of more type A? Right? With those differences come experience, different set of experience limits. Seasons in life, those of you who have lived longer than us know that every decade has a unique flavor. And some of us right now, we're raising little children and we're limited because of that. Some of us are, are taking care of our parents who are older and we're limited because of that. Some of us are at the, at the peak of our financial success. And that comes with some options. Others, we're just starting off. Relationships. Married, divorced, single, that comes with limits. Our emotional, physical, and intellectual well-being, which can change through seasons. It does change through seasons. Consider your family of origin. Consider some of the, uh, some of the maybe uh, family cycles or, or sin cycles or, or cycles of brokenness, which we all have, if we're honest, and how they are limiting the way we're interacting in the world. And by the way, since we're on the topic, some of the greatest uh, testimonies of God using us happens to be rooted in the healing areas of our family of origin. What I mean by that, some of us who have broken cycles, we are then called to people 
that are broken in the same way, and it's just this beautiful thing that God does. So I want to encourage hope in your situation. And then there's just limits due to the past, just past choices that you've made. Some of us, we've had uh, children in previous relationships. Some of us have gone, uh, you, know, you know, made some bad choices with the law, and our criminal record uh, starts to impact uh, our freedoms and what we can and can't do. And so we all have limits. The, the, the issue is not that whether we have limits or not. Really, uh, the difference is how we view them. Are your limits obstacles to control or boundaries to embrace, to learn from. And so today, uh, my, my message is simple, that I believe God is calling us and moving us in healthy discipleship to own our limits. And so we can learn to say to the world and to the important people around us without guilt or shame that we're not busy, we're just limited. I'm not busy, I'm just Limited. You know, one of the most uh, influential, impactful, gifted men in the Bible talks about his relationships, his relationship with his limits. And so I want to go there. I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be reading uh, a few verses um, that was written by Paul, right? Paul, the apostle, who's one of the most famous men in the New Testament, he says this, starting in verse 8. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weaknesses, in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults the hardships, the persecution, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, it's important to know the context of why Paul is, is making these declarations. And it, it comes after him sharing um, the reason why he's choosing not to boast about this supernatural experience. So if you want to read it in context, he talks about this revelation that he has, and he says that it, it is tempting to boast about this revelation. And in order to help him not become proud, it says that God, God did something that he described as putting a thorn in his flesh or allowing to him have a thorn in the flesh. And those of us who may have come across that, we've asked the question, what does that mean? What does it mean that Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Well, there's much debate to it. Some people say it was, it was a stomach problems that Paul had to endure. It was a physical ailment. Others say that it was an ungodly pleasure, an ungodly desire that he had. Others argue that based on the ending of his letters, it had to do with his eyesight, that Paul had trouble, and so he would write with big letters. Right? And so whatever it was, Paul... Paul, what did he do? He did what all of us would do. Prayed, God, take this away. This sucks. Right? And it says he prayed three times, and God's answer, right, was, my grace is sufficient. My power works best in that thing. That thing that you want me to take away, that's where my power works best. And so Paul was able then to say, hey, God is most at work in this thorn. 
And because he believed that, he could then choose. I mean, really, more than embrace, right? He takes pleasure. He proudly proclaims. And he ends with this radical statement, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow. And so living surrendered to limits is one of the marks, one of the many marks of truly following Christ. And with that comes so many benefits. And I'm just going to, uh, just we're going to share a list here. The benefits of, 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 of limits, they, they can work as a way to protect us. Just the way we, we limit Charlie, right? We're protecting her from harm. They keep us grounded. Do you think Paul was grounded because of that? That's what he says, right? This keeps me humble. They break our self-will. Reminds me of the story of Jonah and how he didn't want to go and share the gospel to the Ninevites. We grow in wisdom. Some of our greatest nuggets of who God is and, and truth about life have come from our greatest difficulties. Amen? We encounter God in unique ways. Makes me think of Moses, how he stuttered and how you know, he chose to ask if there would be someone else and how God then asked Aaron to come alongside with. And, and just that beautiful relationship that they had, the trio. And then lastly, we discover strength, a new strength, a different kind of strength, a strength that we would have never planned to have, a strength that the culture doesn't necessarily celebrate and highlight all the time. And so today, I, I started my message totally shamefully, uh, unashamed, I should say, bragging about my middle school athletic achievements. Well, I want to tell you that those pale in comparison to the athletic accomplishments of one of our hometown heroes, Ben Petrick. Those who know Ben and saw him in high school, they would describe him in one word, special. How special? Well, let me tell you that in his senior year as a six-foot, 195-pound tailback, Petrick gained more than 2,000 total yards and scored 24 touchdowns, leading the Glencoe High School Crimson Tide to the 1994 Class 4A State Championship. And this is where every uh, Roll Tide alumni makes noise and gets up. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Glencoe. Yeah, we can represent. But guess what? Ben wasn't done. Right? That wasn't enough uh, an accomplishment. Ben wasn't done. Ben played a little bit of baseball. Petrick, um, in his same year, his senior year, he hit a .524 batting average in 25 games with 11 homers, with a 46 RBI and 22 stolen bases. And that year, his senior year, he was named Oregon's 1995 Baseball Player of the Year. Do you see how that pales to my middle school achievements? <laughs> right? Yeah, can't compare that. Not only this, Ben was then drafted into the major leagues right out of high school. And in 240 games for the Rockies and Tigers, he had a batting average of .257 with 27 home runs and 94 RBIs. Look, I know some of you, this is going over your head. You don't speak baseball. Here's what you need to know. Ben Petrick was really, really good. 
But there is an even more astounding, amazing, incredible stat that you need to know about Ben. Because as a professional baseball player in those 240 major league games, Ben played at least 221 of them. That's, that's the majority of them. With young onset Parkinson's disease taking over his 22-year-old body. That meant Ben played at the highest level of his sport while fighting off tremors, stiffness, and slow movements as a professional catcher. Ben's story, it's an inspiration, but it even gets better, and we want to share more, so we're going to watch this video. For a lifetime, it's, it's frustrating disease. Diagnosed Parkinson's disease 20 years ago. And Peter, seemingly never too far from a ball field. I'm bumping every day they can and trying to get out here and do as much as I can. Which some days is sitting on a bucket and copying and not even talking to his heart. So I'm talking to as well, but I'm doing okay. And there's a base hit. And extra bases for Petrick. After five seasons in the bigs, Ben returned home to Hillsboro, wrote a book, 40,000 to 1. And connected with those Hillsboro hops as a consultant for the Arizona Diamondbacks' single A affiliate. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, a fulfillment that I get just because I can share what knowledge I have of playing the game and being at the higher levels of these young guys that are just kind of starting their careers and that are hoping they can keep moving on up. It was going down live at Glencoe High for the class of 1995. The battery for the Crimson Tide, pitcher Marcus Glaze, catcher Benji Petrick. You know, when he was off in the big leagues, I was house-sitting for, for a while. Baseball life and softball life come full circle, from the fields all around Hillsborough to the bigs and now back. Former MLB catcher Ben Petrick and his best friend from Glencoe High are now living that softball coaching dad life, leading their daughters. Beyond words, I'd probably break down and start crying. Prideful dad eyes. Right here, right here. Well up watching their 11-year-old girls, McKenna Petrick and Allie Glaze. I got it. The 12U Oregon Thunder. Allie and Mac Dog in the house. Woo! Some days I'll come home in the car and I'm like, Dad, why Dad, did you do that? Can you not do that to me during practice? <laughs> but it's, cool. it's It's really fun. People are like always at school like asking, I heard your dad is a professional baseball player. And I'm like, yeah, I mean like sometimes it's hard to talk about it, but like other times it's like, yeah, like I want to share more. McKenna is a catcher, of course, the oldest of Ben's three daughters. What's it like being a dad of three daughters? Insane. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's awesome. With my disease and stuff, and just, it just works out well with having three girls. Get yourself squared up if you possibly can. Co-coaching and co-parenting. Sometimes when you're hearing it from dad, it's not, not as powerful as hearing it from a, a different coach. So, yeah. you know, when I need my daughter to do some hitting things, I just zip my mouth and say, hey, Ben, can you, can you talk to Allison about, about hitting a little bit? So, and then I, I try and bite my tongue. Parkinson's is ruthless and relentless. Ben's father and longtime Glencoe High staple, Vern Petrick, passed away this January, the age of 73, after two decades of battling the disease. Even as his best friend, I don't see the, the daily grind from morning to night that he deals with. Um, yet he comes out here and he has such a great attitude with the girls. You know, he's he's a role model. Coach Glaze and Buddy Marcus have always been by the side of his buddy, who has always backed his. It just puts me at ease. If, I, if I, my meds aren't working well, 
and I'm quiet. Just dug up my head down because I'm not feeling well. He doesn't have, I don't have to worry about him going, what's going on? Coach, yeah. who knows? Ben's been dealt some pretty, a pretty tough hand. Uh, and, but I tell you, you know, even on the days where he can't move, he can't talk, uh, he has so much that he brings to these girls more than most people who are completely able-bodied. A pair of coaching dads sharing the diamond with their gems. We're not always in the moment and appreciating the things that we have. And uh, Ben is a reminder, you know, of the many things to be grateful of, you know, share the hard times and share the, the fun times as well. It's, uh, I'm very fortunate. We love our dads. We love our dads, BFFs forever. <laughs> Quite the double header in Hillsboro. Nick Krupke, Fox 12, Oregon. What an incredible story, amen? Ben should be an inspiration, an inspiration to us all about how life, it doesn't end with our limits. In many ways, it only begins. And so Ben has been known to say this wonderful quote that, quote that says, each day I get a little stronger about being weaker. Did you know that Ben is one of our family members? He's an evergreener. And Ben is right here, and I feel like we deserve, or he deserves, just a, if you can stand and just, just celebrate his life. Ben is over here with his wife, Heidi, and incredible. Thank you, Ben. It's been a joy getting to know Ben and, and his wife, Heidi, and McKenna, who's just so darling. She's now 14, and Madison, 9, and Bailey, 7, and so... Um, yeah, let's continue to celebrate amazing life stories like Ben's. And uh, We began by looking at the, the, the fact that the first man ever created pushed outside of God's limits, and we know him as Adam. And So <clears throat> it made sense that we needed a second Adam to get it right. We needed a man who would live within God's limits. And so in steps Jesus, who is referred to as the second Adam in Romans 5. Jesus, the most famous man in history, arguably, easily, more followers than The Rock and Cristiano Ronaldo combined. Jesus had followers before having followers was even a thing. And we know Jesus because he did amazing things, incredible things, right? The Gospels are full of amazing acts of power. And one of the Gospel authors at the end ends that we wouldn't be able to write enough books to fill the things that Jesus did. Wow. Jesus did things. But have you ever thought about all the things that Jesus chose not to do, all the things that he said no to, all the demands he left unfulfilled. Friends, Jesus lived within limits. I mean, consider the temptation in the desert where Jesus has gone for 40 days and 40 nights and is tempted to turn a stone into bread, and Jesus, he denies he limits an immediate meal. In that same interaction, he denies, he limits, he withholds from his health, his self immediate fame, immediate power. 
Consider that Jesus, he did not go around and heal absolutely everyone. Jesus did not travel to all the places of the known world at that time. Jesus actually refused to, to, to continue to stay when big crowds asked him to stay. Jesus refused the clout that comes with big crowds. Consider the fact that Jesus did not um, ask for more than 12 to be a part of his, his circle, and then his inner circle of three was even less. And yet, even though Jesus had all these limits, at the end of his public ministry on earth, at the end of his first visitation, he famously ends with three words. It is finished. Jesus lived a complete life, the most complete life. And it was because he didn't do it all. He simply did what his father told him to do. And so Jesus' embrace of limits was further proof that he was indeed deity wrapped in humanity. We know Jesus as the God-man. When Jesus put on flesh, he chose limits. And so Jesus is the greatest model that accepting limits was an expression of obedience. And so maybe you this week, if we can reflect on anything, it's this as we, as we come to a close here. That if we take all our energy, <clears throat> our treasures, our talents, our gifts, and not focus on trying to do it all, not doing what our friends think it's right, what our family thinks right, what even culture says, but learning to discern where God wants us to invest our limited time on earth. One psalmist famously wrote, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's embracing God's limit for the sake of seeking the kingdom on earth. Could we learn to live a life to say no to a bunch of good things to put us in position to say yes to the best of things, kingdom things? So with that, I invite you to participate in communion if that's a choice that you want to make. And if you're online, we encourage you to participate as well. And if you didn't get any of the elements here in the room, please just raise your hand and Tom will go around and make sure you have one. But I invite you to um, remove that first layer. And I invite you to reflect on the fact that although Jesus did not meet everyone's felt need, that's what made it possible for him to meet everyone's most important need. When he chose to hang on the cross, he accomplished the greatest act of love for us. He paid the price for our collective wrongdoings, our sins. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. And so when we come to communion, we, we bring into remembrance the fact that that did not come without a cost. And so these elements are symbolic. First, the bread, symbolic of his body 
which was the sacrifice given for us. So I invite you to take the bread. Next, I invite you to peel back the last layer. We know that the juice, the liquid that we have in our hand, is symbolic of his blood. That is representative of the fact that he chose to forgive us, but it also says that it's a new covenant. And I understand that to say that it is a new way of relating. And because of Jesus' shed blood, we can relate with God freely, without shame. We can go to our Father, hand over our limits, and receive love and grace as a result of this blood. And so we remember together the sacrifice blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we all sit in this room or are in our living rooms, we just, we, we collectively just embrace whatever limits you have placed in our lives in this season. And we say, Father, forgive us for pushing back and throwing tantrums. Help us to see the gifts. Help us to see the blessings. Help us to see the love. So, Father, I pray that we would leave here with our shoulders lighter, our vision clearer, knowing that we are your children and we are called to do incredible things that only you can accomplish for us. And so we walk into those things. We believe those things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.